Shot Golf Podcast. We are recording at the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. This is the Everyman's Golf Podcast. I am Greg Moraz, and I am joined by my two co-hosts, Mike Finn and Andy Smothers, who are three of, or I should say two, I'm including myself in this, two of my golfing buddies from the city, and we wanted to come together and talk golf, talk shop, because... We all love it out on the golf course. We all have experiences, and we all consume the game like guys that just, quite frankly, we can't get enough. So this is the opening episode. We don't know how it's going to go, but we're going to try to keep you informed and entertained. I want to give you a couple of reminders before we start it off here. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. Google Play as well. We're working on getting it on all of the various platforms. If you have a review, make sure that you write a review, leave a five-star rating, and tell your friends about the show because that's how we grow is by word of mouth. Because let's just face it, we don't really have that big of a social media presence. I've got about 1,200 Twitter followers. I think I think Mike's got like 15. Uh, 18. I think it's 18. My fingers are crossed that this podcast goes better than Bryson's back nine. I'm just going to be frank. (laughs) And that's where we're going to start is with the U.S. Open. And I'll say a much more intriguing U.S. Open than that of 2020, which was a Bryson DeChambeau runaway. First off, hold on. Greg, I'm going to interrupt you. I just want to say, guys, uh, really looking forward to this. Uh, I know this isn't, uh, you know, before we dive into this, this is going to be pretty fun. Looking forward to this. We got... uh, Two guys that probably don't know too much what we're doing, but we got the professional here, the Wizard of Mirage. So uh, let's just give a little quick cheers here, guys. Hey, cheers. Cheers. But actually, before we, but so we're going to clink glasses here, but can we say what happened right before we started recording? Because I think that it's a good omen based upon the type of camaraderie that we have. And we've had a couple of beers with each other a time or two out at the Olympic Club or in various spots around the city. Yeah, I think uh, this almost didn't even get started. But before we even got started, we almost broke it. So um, it was a wounded soldier that almost wounded our equipment. I'm just glad your equipment's still still fine there. We're good. We're good, right? Yeah. Oh, we're solid. Yeah. Mike Finn uh, spilled a beer. Fortunately, he did it in the opposite direction of the mixer board. So we wouldn't be bringing this to you if it wasn't for the fact that he decided to swipe his arm in the right direction when spilling a beer. But anyways. Game on. Game on. Let's do it. You could say you missed the fairway on the right side. <laughs> there are a lot of guys that missed fairways this week at Torrey Pines. And if you're listening to this a couple of weeks from now, our first episode, we're recording this, and it's going to come out probably a little bit after the U.S. Open. But that's just technology for you. John Rahm wins the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines on Father's Day. He becomes the first Spaniard to win the U.S. Open, and he becomes the fourth Spaniard to win a major championship, following Seve Ballesteros, Jose Maria Olazabal, and Great Sergio Garcia. Great pronunciation there of the uh, Jose Maria Olazabal there. So I want to throw it to you guys, because what Rom did that separated himself from the field was what he did on 17 and 18. You didn't see anybody in the field on that final round that closed as strong as he did and what with as bunched up as the leaderboard was 
as everybody hit the back nine, everybody started to falter except for him and except for Ustazen. So I want to take it to you guys. What do you feel like was the shot that defined the tournament? To me, for John Rahm, it was his bunker shot on 18, and I'll tell you why. He went for the green in two. Now, the 18th at Torrey Pines is a risk-reward par five. All things considered, I don't think it's a great hole. It doesn't fit the character of the rest of the golf course. But it is a great finishing hole because it is one of the best risk-reward holes in all of golf. He misses it right on a front right pin. He can't go directly at the flag because if he does, he risks actually putting it in the water. He aims about, what would you guys say, about 15 feet right of the flag? From the bunker? From the bunker. Oh, yeah. I was watching the replay. I'm looking at it thinking, like, where is this guy aiming? I mean, I don't know if you blade it, you know, you go far, but I mean, that's why he's a professional golfer. I guess we're not, right? I mean, it was almost like he had to he had to lay up out of the bunker. Yeah, I mean, is that similar putt? Where was Tiger's putt in 08? That wasn't from the same line, right? No, Tiger, Tiger was... I think the flag in 08 was farther left than this flag was. This flag was about as far right as you probably could have put it. But he puts himself in a position to where he's got an uphill left to right putt. Yeah. He gave himself the best possible opportunity to make a birdie based on where he was, and John Rahm, I will say this, for as powerful of a player as he is, and we, for some reason, always, at least I do, I don't know about you guys, we always look at power players as guys that don't have great short game. John Rahm is a phenomenal putter. Oh, absolutely. You know, you said that was the shot of the tournament for you for Rahm. I thought it was actually the third hole, the par three, and that was an up and down. He misses the par three left, he has no shot. He's short-sighted, and the short game again comes to save the day. It's a simple par on the sport scorecard. You don't. It's not a birdie. There's no splashes there. But I think that really propelled his round forward. I mean, I, I just I think the two putts, right? The finishes. I was reading a stat last night that it's the first time in U.S. Open history that the winner has gone birdie birdie to finish to win by one stroke. I mean, that was flashbacks of Tiger in 08, right? I mean. He's drilling these, what, 20-foot curling birdie putts, and the reactions are incredible. I mean, talk about good for golf, right? I mean, unreal. And he's the king of left-to-righters, too. Both of those putts left-to-right, big sweeping breaks. All I could think about when I saw Rom make both of those putts was the putt that he made at the BMW Championship last year. Is that the curler against DJ? Yes. Okay, yeah. Was it also left-to-right? I think it was a double-breaker. That one went. St- I think it started. So left it had to include right. a little left to right if it's a double break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like he had to put it way left, catch the slope, and then it like snake drafted back to the left. Snake drafted. Yeah, that's the term. Uh, we're going with it. Um, I think it'd be snake drifted. Snake but drifted. There we go. We're not correcting you for grammar on this show. Sorry, the nerds. First episode, guys. You know, we need to drink some more beers, right? Talking about eighteen, though. <laughs> talk about the roller coaster of emotions. You've got the ball in the middle of the fairway. You're going to win your first U.S. Open and you hit it in the bunker and you're short-sighted where you're kind of screwed. You know, you kind of, you know, to come back and get that up and down, what were the percentages on that? 10%? 5%? But let me tell you this. That was where he was trying to miss it because Rom plays a better cut than he does a draw. On that hole at Torrey Pines. I've never played. Have you guys played Torrey? No. Oh, yeah, I mean, neither. I mean, I don't know if like that bunker shot. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I mean... That bunker shot, like you were saying, you know, why is he going so far right? Is it does it slope that much if you go straight at it? Well, let's just take into account the calculations. If you miss it, if you miss it short right, you're on ground. If you miss it short left, 
you're hitting your fourth shot from 75 yards. And with Rom playing Splash. a cut, yeah. he knows that he can cut it over the water and get the ball to finish at the hole or right of the hole. Problem was, he overcut it. It's a complete moot point because he got up and down for birdie. But that was a scenario where if he makes par, we probably end up seeing a playoff. But the thing about Rom, in comparison to the rest of the field is that he was the only one that consistently made shots down the stretch and kept himself where he was at and didn't drop any further. Is he the only player, I think, on like the top 10 with zero bogeys on the back nine, I believe? I, mean, I believe so. Yeah. I Clean mean, back nine. Talk about clutch. That's how you win a U.S. Open, right? As I pull up his scorecard from round number four, not only was he bogey-free on the back nine, he only made one bogey the entire day, and that was the fourth hole, which is completely understandable because it's one of the tougher par fours out there. You have a dangerous tee shot because of how far right to left the fairway slopes and a flag position that is screaming downhill from right to left, and you realistically cannot keep the ball short of the hole on your second shot. Well, thinking of a clean back nine and all the people that kind of fell off, I mean, let's talk about Louie. Yeah. I mean, there was a bogey on 17 that you could dissect that hole many different ways. I mean, I mean that drive, that's the overcompensation from the Zurich, right? I mean, he blocks it right on be. 18. It's got to be. I mean. But guys were missing it right there all week. That That's a pretty narrow fairway, too. I, I don't know. They said on the broadcast that there's room out there. They say, like, right after he dumps it in there to the left, they say, how wide of the fairway? I it didn't look very wide to me. There's that bunker on the right that looks like it's right in the driving landing area. And I, you know, coming on 17, <laughs> leading. But Rob drove it in that same bunker and had a clean lie at about 121 yards to get that onto the green. Yep. So that was not the bad play. The fairway bunkers at Torrey are not that penal. I know we saw... One lie, I believe it was from Rory, to where it was like a fried egg in a fairway bunker that was just like up against the lip of it to where all he could do was go out sideways. But for Louie, he was hanging on for dear life. I mean, he was hitting the ball well, but he was hanging on for dear life. And a couple of situations that I do want to talk about in regards to Louie. I feel like the drive on 17 was coming because of what happened on 16. He played a great shot into the 16th green. He had a terrible lag putt. He was lucky to get away with par there good because he left himself probably a good seven feet because he didn't get his first putt to the hole. I didn't see six it. feet, seven feet. I remember watching that thinking, I wouldn't be able to hold the club. I'd be so nervous. And he made that with just yeah, steeled I, nerves. I, I didn't mean, see come any on. nerves there. He, he looked confident after making that. I don't think – did anyone see that drive coming on 17? I mean, talk about the momentum coming. It's like, oh my goodness, we're going to have a great finish here. And he almost got up and down. That yeah. shot out of the rough? Unbelievable. I want to know about that putt, though. He hit the putt great. He was top five in putting. Okay, he hit his line. Who read that putt? Uh, I don't know. You know, his caddy, if we're going to talk about caddying players, who's reading Reminds putts? me of Happy Gilmore caddy a little bit. I don't know. I don't know. Just so throwing that out there. Colin Byrne is the guy's name. Um you know, I think the most exposure that he probably got right there is his second shot coming in 18, right? Louis drives in left rough. Let's get past 17. He's got to make an eagle now out of the rough. I don't know if that lie didn't look terrible. Not a terrible lie at all. He's 247 out from the rough. 
and you got to make an eagle. I you mean, can hit a three iron as a professional golfer two twenty. You especially can be, if it's tumbling, you're, you you got to turn that over right and hit it with a little tumble spin. It ain't coming out with backspin. So I looked at laying up, trying to make a hole, make it in the hole from seventy three yards. PJ Tour player is going to make that about one out of a hundred times. Is that second shot a one in a hundred shot? I mean, I feel like you can get it close enough to make an eagle. You know, at least. Absolutely, five to ten times. You know what? Absolutely, no. Mike. And I think that's why you're an incredible caddy, and they call you Magic Mike. Oh, please! Is because you know how to get the ball in the hole. Let's be real. You have to get that ball closer. You cannot give yourself 75 yards to win the U.S. Open. I almost, I actually didn't even watch the shot. I watched every shot. I didn't even care. I was like, he's not going to make this shot. This is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, but you're saying so. Colin Byrne, the guy we just mentioned. I mean, the the guy has been a caddy for 34 years. He's been on the bag for guys, you know, Rafa Cabrera, Bello. He won the 2017 uh, Scottish Open with him. He's been on the bag for Ernie Els. Won the 2004 U.S. Open with Retief Goosen. So, I mean, the guy knows what he's doing. Oh, he's won a major. Yeah. I mean, I just don't think, you know, what's what's he thinking about in that situation? You know, Are you thinking about a paycheck? Are exactly. You, like, exactly. Because I was actually talking to a, a, a friend of mine, uh, Matt Bloom, who used to caddy for Hale Irwin. And I go, if you need your tour card, it makes sense. If you yeah. need a top 10 finish. But, like, you're trying to win the U.S. Open. Yeah, Louis, Louis is a world-renowned golfer. I don't think he's trying to protect his finish it's win or go home you got to pull roy mcavoy here i mean come and on he is Tink a up. good enough wedge player to where even if he did hit it in the water he still has a legitimate chance for par and what's the big difference between being solo second and tied for second with harris english nothing if you have an opportunity to win the tournament for the caddy that's if, about fifty thousand extra bucks true <laughs> but if i want to win the u.s open I say, damn the torpedoes. If we hit it in the water, we hit it in the water. Yeah. This yeah. is a hole we can still make a par on. You got to go for the win. But we can't, unless the lie was to the point where he felt like there's no way that he can get it up in the air. And let's just, let's put this hypothetical. Let's say he does go for it. They were talking about running it up the right side. Does it what slope What shot would you rather have? It slopes from right to left. What shot would you rather have? A 15-yard chip going down the hill... Or a 75-yard wedge shot straight at the hole. If your name's Phil Mickelson, you would take the 75-yarder and have, you know, your boy Bones tending the flag. <laughs> I mean, wasn't that at Tory? I don't know what year it was. He's tending the flag on 18 there to try to hold it. I, I think it comes down to ball flight. What does Louie hit? Does he hit a cut or does he hit a draw? I believe he hits a cut. Yeah, and that obviously is going to play factor in, in that ultimate decision, right? Yeah. And so when you have a ball in the rough, the tendency is you to just hook missed it. it left. It's you're gonna hook a ball in the rough. It just happens, okay? Yeah. And if you're a cutter, you may not feel comfortable with that ball flight going into it. And I think that had to have something to I do don't with buy it. it. You gotta go for the win there. Come on. Yeah, I mean Louis. you do, Come you on, do Louis. you do, but you also gotta play your horse right. You know what I mean? Right, you gotta you, you gotta whip them when it's right. So all right, we'll see him next year, second place again, you know. British Open. Uh, Louis is not done. He's 38. Away. He's 38. I mean, he could play for the next 10 years. He's, He's going to win a couple more. He's got the purest swing in golf. I'm oh a Louis fan. I'm a Louis fan. I agree. I'm I don't a think there's fan. anybody that has a swing that's more pure than him. I think this He's is an the all-timer. Ultimate Shot Golf Podcast, by the way. Greg Mraz, Mike Finn, Andy Smothers. I want to talk about a couple of other players, and I know that we didn't bring him up in our pre-show meeting, and yes, we did have a pre-show meeting. In fact... They actually have more notes on this than I do. Hey, you're a pro, man. What? <laughs> you're too kind, Mr. Finn. Rory McIlroy had an opportunity to win his first major since Kiowa in 2013. Yep. 
And Rory McIlroy completely fell apart on the back nine. In particular, the 12th hole, where he had a pretty reasonable second shot into the green, misses it not only in the right front bunker, but misses it so far right he's on a downslope, having to carry over probably about 15 yards of bunker to a back left pin, leaves it in the bunker, then scuzzes his next shot. Actually, no, he had a good second shot, and he ended up three-putting. I don't know what it is. But there's something that goes off in Rory on the back nine on Sunday where he completely implodes. And I'll say this. Rory is not the same golfer he was at the beginning of the 2010s. He's not nearly as good of a putter. He's not nearly as good of an overall short game guy. And when he loses his driver, he loses it everywhere. I mean, you got to think, you know, the guy, how old is Rory now? He's, what, 30 years old, 31? I mean, he's got... A wife, kids, he's got other things going on. I think even he'd admitted it that, you know, maybe the passion is not quite there. But, I mean, a guy... He's 32. 32. A guy, Bryson and Rory, they're two, two different stages of their life, right? I mean, Bryson is a golf nerd to the umpteenth degree. Uh, you know, you see videos of him hitting golf balls at, what, 9.30 at night on the range out there. I mean, I don't know. Do you, you, you hit quite a bit of golf balls during the course of a week. Do you really need to be still hitting golf balls? So, See, I disagree with you. I thought Rory played great. You know, he had a three-putt, okay? Before his double, he had a three-putt, okay? And what happens when you three-putt? You press a little bit. He misses the fairway. He gets a terrible break in that fairway bunker. I mean, he's, he has no shot. He has nothing. He has nothing, you know? He played great. On 17, he had 10 feet. I mean, from a... Uh, a proximity to hole standpoint, Roy McIlroy was a top five guy I, all I, week. I just think it was a treat, especially I mean, on the back nine. Coming into Sunday, um, you know, first couple rounds, I think we had, you know, Russell Henley, Louie tied for the lead. Uh, you had, you know, guys like Molinari, good to see him back in the What mix. happened so to Russell, by the way? Kind of, he, uh, he was leading the whole time and then it just yeah, didn't happen. I, but what a leaderboard we had coming into Sunday, though. I mean, Stacked. It, we didn't really see that. And then all of a sudden, you got Russell. Mackenzie Hughes, you know, winner on the PGA Tour, I think, earlier this year. Louie. Then you got Bryson, Rory. Rom Scheffler-Wolf. Great to see him back in the mix. Amen. Uh, DJ. Well, we're forgetting about Christian uh, Bezen Duhout. I'm gonna Be go careful on that just, pronunciation. There. Yeah, you know, that, that's my best first. First time I've heard of this guy, right? Uh, DJ Colin, your guy. Uh, Xander and Kevin Streelman. I mean, come on. Who was not dialed into Sunday on the tube? This was great. What a great front nine, really. I mean, everyone was just firing at pins, and they said, hey, I'm going to win this thing, right? But Rom was the only one on the back nine who actually never faltered. He never made a mistake. Yeah. I, I was I was actually rooting for Russell Henley. Um, I got a good, you know, 2010, I think it was at Pebble. He was still an amateur. I think he finished low amateur there. He was tied low amateur with Scott Langley. Yeah, I just have memories of him, I think, walking down the third hole, and he's just, you know... He's in heaven. He's just pumping up the crowd, waving his hands. Like I, I gained, you know. Henley's issue fan. was not the back nine. His issue was the front nine. He made three consecutive bogeys on six, seven, and eight. Yeah. And that was after he made a great birdie on number three. He didn't really do much the rest of the day. I think another guy that's really worth talking about what happened is Mackenzie Hughes. And Mackenzie Hughes got off to a really shaky start. And Understandably. he found his way back into the tournament by making birdies on seven and nine. And I believe he was only one shot back to Louie after he made his birdie on nine. I, you know, his start was shaky, all things considered. But 
I, I thought I was par for the course given his 67 on Saturday. I mean, there's got to be a bit of regression there, right? Well, we have to talk about probably the wildest shot that maybe we've ever seen in a golf tournament. We've seen balls get stuck in trees. Lee Jansen, uh, Lee Westwood, just to, just to name a few at the uh, local haunt here. Just two Lees. But we've never seen it happen when the ball first made contact with the cart path. So Mackenzie Hughes is on the 11th hole, which is a 215-yard downhill par 3. There's a cart path that's well left of the green. He snaps it. It hits the cart path, and it hops up in the tree, and he has to take an unplayable lie. And that tree did not look thick at all. I mean, how bad of a break is that? That's a leafy tree. That wasn't like a pine tree or a (laughs) cypress tree like we have out at the lake course on Olympic Club. Question, is that the only time a ball's been stuck in that tree? I mean, like, I don't know how you can prove this, but has a ball ever (laughs) been caught in that tree? in that scenario? You're just like, I mean, are you fucking serious? I mean, come on. (laughs) Like... Talk about your ultimate bad breaks. I don't know. That's tough. It was and a terrible shot. he still had a shot. chance to get up and down from bogey, even with the unplayable lie, because he had a decent amount of green to work with. But that was pretty much the end of his day. Yeah. Well, the last I checked, they don't put trees in the middle of greens. I mean, that was a terrible shot. <laughs> and then there's Bryson. What happened to Bryson does not break my heart in the slightest. <laughs> What do you think Brooks was saying uh, while that's going on? Is he paying attention? Is he just laughing? I saw a great tweet from Max Homa that it would have been even better if the box of beer cans that his ball came to rest next to would have been... Shout out Stella. A a Michelob Light. (laughs) If it was a Michelob Light. Oh, my God. That's amazing. no. (laughs) For those of you that don't know, and if you don't know, you probably don't follow it closely enough, Michelob Light or Michelob Ultra, one of the two, is Brooks Kepka's beer sponsor and if you don't know now you know it's also the manliest beer on tour everyone knows that yeah yeah (laughs) but bryson was going along well and then he makes bogey at 11 he hit it way right of the green and then on number 12 he also makes a bogey because he hit it 50 yards right of the fairway on that hole and then on 13 the broadcast was making excuses for him he slipped on the tee no. Uh, he did, he did, he did. That I'll give him the benefit of the doubt on yeah, that. Yeah, but they he slipped. No one pushed him. He slipped. Hey, maybe swing a little too hard, huh? A little, a little too much. But even uh, though he <laughs> did slip, you're on a par five. And his whole philosophy is I'm going to try and get it as close to the green as I can. He missed the fairway well left on Saturday on 13 and still somehow went hybrid and got it close enough to the green to where he had a flip wedge in. Greg, I think this actually leads in pretty well to, you know, I think we were talking about USGA setup, um, you know, stroke average kind of, you know, maybe we thought that it was going, you know, maybe they went a little easy on the guys. Was this a typical US Open that we've seen in the past? Um, I mean, the scoring average, I don't think was too far off from even the Farmers Insurance Open. I mean, it seemed pretty, I'm not going to say that it seems similar to a Farmers, maybe the Farmers is similar to US Open, um, but I don't know. Is this the USGA seems to be, you know, the women's open, I think set up people were saying maybe it was a little easy. Um, you know, is USGA trying to kind of make themselves a little more, look a little bit better, a little more fan friendly. They brought in Jason Gore as kind of a player, you know, head of the player. I don't know what they call it. Uh, you know, player relations, I guess. Um, you know, USGA is 
kind of been unpopular over the last, what, six, seven years. So Let's face it, birdies are sexy. It's kind of like the long ball home run in baseball. I mean, we want to see birdies. Yeah. It gets people involved. Matthew Wolf had, what, eight birdies in the first round? Like He's back. Unreal. Yeah. See, I disagree. I understand what the USGA is doing, and Finn, I agree that that's what they're trying to do, but I don't like it. Make golf great again. Because I think that the U.S. Open is supposed to be golf's toughest test. Yeah. Now, I'll say this. I think that the U.S. Open was as tough as it has been in the past around the greens. I feel like guys did not have any sort of break when they were around the greens. But here's my biggest issue. And this is more in relation to the golf course that is Torrey Pines than it necessarily is other U.S. Open layouts. So I'm going to give you a couple of U.S. Open layouts, and then I'm going to give you Torrey Pines. And I'm going to ask you both what they have in common that Torrey does not. Wingfoot, the Olympic Club, Marion. What do those three have in common that Torrey does not? They don't put on POA. Not what I was thinking of, but... <laughs> I mean, I'll go maybe the greens. I mean, Wingfoot's greens are ridiculous. Trees! Oh, okay, all right. They have trees! Tory doesn't have trees! <laughs> so if you don't have trees, you need to be able to punish players for missing it 50 yards right of the fairway. I was looking at the shot that Bryson had on the 12th hole on Sunday. You should not... Have a shot at the green when you miss it 50 yards right of the fairway. The whole week on number four, players are trying to play right of the right bunker. Isn't the whole objective of the game to hit the flipping fairway? You know, the I, golf course should punish errant tee shots, do you not want, reward them. I mean, do you want another situation with Phil? What did he? What, where was it? That was at Shinny uh, a couple years ago. That was winged foot when he's? Oh, was that winged foot? Yeah, when he's you know putting it back as the ball's moving. I think that's what the USJ wants to get away from, right? You know, the players get embarrassed. You know, they, they say bad things about the course. Ian Poulter, I would say, of all people, like, that guy is not too shy about sharing his opinions. I think he said this was one of the most enjoyable U.S. Opens. Um, I know from a fan perspective, we probably like to see them get tortured, make double bogeys, kind of look like us. But, I, but see, I'm, my that's issue funny. is not with everything around the greens. My issue is from the tee. It wasn't penal enough off the tee. Yeah. I know, absolutely. If you look at the fairway statistics of the U.S. Open, the top seven guys, I'm just going to, I'm not going to name the games, names, but I'll give you their finishes. 40th, 4th, 50th, 40th, 40th, 46th, 40th. This is the t these guys hit the most fairways, right? This is like 60%, 70%, and the average finish was 37th? There's no penalty for missing the fairway. It's I, ridiculous. I, I mean, but that's not... Is that what you want? I mean, I think the U.S. Open is a test of your short game around the green. If you're hitting fairways, you got to be hitting greens. If you're missing the greens, it's it's short game and putting. It's got to be a total test. It's got to be fairways, greens, putting, the whole shebang, okay? You can't just miss fairways and win. What's the difference? I mean, we're talking, what, two strokes, one stroke difference compared to, you know, 2008 and now. I mean, the winners, actually, you know, Tiger and Rocco both were finished at one under. Uh, only players I think under par, and then you got Rom. Uh, who else finished under par? You know, you probably had what, like six or seven guys. You had uh, uh, actually. So let me count it up here real quick. So at two under or better, you had six guys. 
At one under, you had six guys. So there were 12 guys in total that were under par. There were two guys that were dead even. So you had 14 players at even or better. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's too many. And none of them hit the fairway. Like I said, the top seven guys who hit the fairways, I mean, these are machines, right? They hit every fairway. They didn't even break the top 25. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, you tell me if I'm a caddy and now you tell me my player's going to hit every fairway, I'd be like, I like my chances at the U.S. Open. And right now, looking at these numbers, they ain't breaking top 25. All right, but let's go. All right, let's think about it from like a viewership standpoint. I mean, what what's going to get views, right? They're, they've got the whole new $40 million social media purse thing. I mean... This was a great U.S. Open. We, like we can't, back up, we back can't up. doubt that. Forty million dollars social media purse. Have you not heard of this? Have you been living no. under a rock? Uh, maybe it's been a quarantine. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, this is why the whole Bryson, you know, Brooks thing. You know, is it real? Is it fake? Are they just going for totally the money? Fake. Totally fake. Um, but I mean, so if you I mean, we got a great U.S. Open, right? I think everyone could say that. And in the women's open, both of them. I mean, it was a great U.S. I'd say on the men's side and the women's side, it was a great U.S. Open. I would have loved to have seen a playoff in the men's U.S. Open. We got one in the women's U.S. Open. If you're a casual viewer, though, are you tuning in to watch someone make bogeys, doubles? You know, the stuff that we, you know, us golfers that, you know, you know how hard it is when you play a course like that, and it's very relatable. But if you're a casual fan, are you tuning in to watch these guys make doubles? Yeah, you want to see birdies. But there's no other tournament that we expect to beat people up like the U.S. Open, all right? We can watch the Masters and watch guys make birdies. We can watch the PGA Championship. If there's no wind, we can watch the British Open. We watch a regular tour event, and we see guys make birdies. But the USGA has been like the evil twin. You know, they've been the guy that nobody likes over the last few years. They're trying to gain, you know, favor with the players, favor with the fans. They don't need to. Their championship is what it is. Hey, you know. I see it both ways. I mean, the U.S. Open really is like a Super Bowl event for American sports. You know, you've got the Super Bowl. You know, you've got the World Series. And the U.S. Open's up there in terms of just interest and you want to grow the game you want to make birdies but at the same time people are going to tune in regardless i mean it's the u.s open you know hey mike davis is on the way out this was his last thank god (laughs) i mean yeah you know a lot of people probably might feel the same way you know i would say it's you got to rebrand yourself a little bit you got to change something uh I, i laughed kind of uh i think they were showing the replay when rom's either in the scoring tent or uh some some you know trailer they had a little sign there that says, Player Services Office. All nice, friendly, and passionate players welcome. Angry players need not enter. When was the last time you've seen the USJ have a sense of humor? <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, come on. I, I got to give them the credit there. So Probably never. Even the church can chuckle at itself, apparently. <laughs> all right. This is the Alternate Shot Golf Podcast. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back after this. And welcome back into the Alternate Shot Golf Podcast. I'm Greg. Across from me are Mike and Andy. We hope you've enjoyed the conversation so far on episode one. We're going to go out of bounds now. That's going to be our segment where we talk about some things that normally you wouldn't really talk about. And let me just tell you, you'll never hear the name Richard Bland on this show or really many other shows ever again. But leading into Saturday... Richard Bland was the co-leader of the United States Open. 
Richard Bland had started 478 European tour events before he got his first win. He's 48 years old. He didn't have any sponsorship deals other than his shirt. What was up with that hat? Yeah, well, so the hat was his home golf club in England. I actually thought it was the Grey Goose logo. <laughs> That's hilarious. I was rooting for the guy. It's like, I, although I did say after his second round, I think I was playing with the guys, and I did make the comment, uh, "What's the over under he shoots tomorrow?" And you would have made a killing. He went ahead and actually made a very good bogey. I think on eighteen uh, to hit the number on the nail, seventy seven um, Sunday. Tough. I mean, I think we were all rooting for him, but that's just its tough. Tough to see. Tough finish. I mean, the guy, no one hit more fairways except Chaz Reavy. Even though he had a terrible weekend, let's be honest, he still hit the second most fairways of anyone in the U.S. Open. I mean, that is showing up. Yeah. At 48, that's impressive. How about the other names? Uh, you said low amateur guy. You were uh, no low amateur, right? Zero. No no amateur made the cut. That's I mean, disappointing. It is disappointing because it's always a good story, right? I mean, in the last few years, you've got John Rahm actually was the low am in a 2012. You've no, got... No, no, Spieth was low am in 2012. Excuse me, you're right. 2016 was Rahm's... Uh, Spieth was 2012. You've got PGA Tour winners, uh, Michael Kim, Patrick Cannelly. I mean, the list goes on and on. The fact is, if you are low amateur, you have a 66% chance, just looking at the numbers, of winning a tour event. And to not have that this year, I feel like we were robbed a little bit. Yeah, everyone wants to see someone who's, you know, you're not making any money. This is the biggest tournament of their life. Um, Probably up to that point, you know, you would think. Uh, I know Tyler Shafasi, I think is that how you pronounce it. He had played, this is his second U.S. Open. Um, so maybe, you know, it's not, you know, he's been here before. He's seen it. Uh, maybe nerves aren't quite as, you know, bigger or, you know, as tight as you would think. But I don't know. It's always such a fun story to see, you know, an amateur in there just out of college, 17 years old, 18 years old, whatever it is, you know, playing with the big boys. Yeah, it shows the right. Am I losing my marbles or was uh, Matt Every a big break winner? Uh, he was on the big break. I yeah, don't know he, was he was also winner. he was also a low amateur in two thousand and five. He guy. won Bay Hill back to back. He broke too many clubs. He's kind of you know no more sponsors or what? What happened to the big? Can break? I just say that I missed that show? Oh my god, I really missed that show. Beautiful Tommy Two Gloves. Oh, they need to have more women's big break at Atlantis. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Hey, Tony Finau. Tony Finau, big uh, probably the most successful. I would say uh, big breaker. Yeah. I remember. Earnings, yeah. I go. I don't remember who it was. But I remember it was the big break in Indian Wells, and in one of the challenge rounds, a guy that played cross-handed. Oh, yes. Is this the barefoot guy? I don't (laughs) think so, but I remember remember that he hit like a 270-yard carry three-wood over water, and I'm just sitting there like... How are you doing that with your hands backwards? <laughs> Let's be honest. Uh, how many of us thought while watching it that we could all be on the big break and like win it? Oh, I, mean, I, I beat you guys <laughs> so hard. Like you guys went home episode one. The flop wall in my breaking mind. The glass. <laughs> the breaking the glass thing that that should be like a tradition. Like they should. The PGA Tour. What happened to the the, the, the challenge? The skills challenge, right? You had Mark McGuire. You know, yeah. you had all these players coming. You know, and you had celebrities. What happened to that? Yeah, Where is that? I agree. Let's bring back the Battle of Bighorn, or you know, like what are these events? Bring back a women's and men's PGA Tour or LPGA Tour event. Was well, that the now- we have the match, which you've got two football players and two golfers. 
I lived in Montana for a while. I never knew about this golf course in Big Sky. I thought Big Sky was just a ski resort, but... What were you doing in Montana, man? Did you have cell phone service the entire time? Minor yeah, league... I lived in the state capital. Minor League Baseball <laughs> days. The Wizard of Mirage on the mic, baby. There you go. Let's go. Let's <laughs> but get it. I, I played a Nicholas course up there in the middle of nowhere, actually. Apologies yeah. if you hit a draw and you play a Nicholas course. Apologies. <laughs> I. What are your guys' thoughts on Nicholas design? Because here's the thing that I see with Nicholas. There's too much water, and he always has a penal area around a certain part of a green. I hit a cut, so I love him. Yeah. So, uh, Magic Mike over here, he's he's going to probably shoot a 72, if I were to guess, if he's on. Uh, I'm going to shoot a 92 if I'm on. All right. I hit a bi- I'm a one-side guy. I, I kind of hit the high school hook. Uh, not a Nicholas fan. Not a Nicholas fan. I don't think I've played enough or know enough necessarily uh, Nicholas designs. I'm going to have to do some research here and maybe start ranking them. But um, He's so biased on the cut. It's out of control. Hey, you know, all the best. So you have two Nicholas designs <laughs> that I can recall off the... T- all right, three Nicholas designs. I've played two of them. The three Nicholas designs in the Bay Area off the top of my head are Ruby Hill in Pleasanton. Never heard that. Never played there. Caddy there. Heard it's great. Coyote Creek, the championship course in another San Jose. Cu- another cutter's course. Not a bad track. Not a bad track. Former senior PJ Tour event, I think. Terrible course. And the course that I believe is one of the best, if not the best, golf course in Northern California outside okay, drum of San roll. Francisco. Drum roll. Mayakama. Oh, okay. I did not break 100. I am a scratch golfer, just so you know. I've shot 67 in tournaments, and I had a caddy. I didn't even break 100. It was the worst round. There's trouble all over that course. I mean, it wasn't even close, and you want to know why? If you hit a draw... Don't show up. Par threes out there. I've only put there one time. Par threes are brutal. If you miss the green, I mean, that's a double bogey, right? What do the caddies say? Big fairways, big greens. But if you miss them, good luck. Yeah. You know, I didn't get to play the, the proper set of tees. I think I was playing with the member who maybe well, it wasn't so hot. But uh, so I didn't get the real test of it. But I, I enjoyed it, the experience. I think it's a beautiful course. Um, I will say this about Nicholas courses, and my scores are terrible. I mean, you would not recognize me as a golfer on a Nicholas course, but they are immaculate. They are beautiful. And from a drone... We just, we just need to play Boundary Oaks more often where you go eagle, birdie... Or was it eagle par eagle in a three-hole I think stretch? it was two eagles in three <laughs> holes, but no one's keeping track. Yeah, well, you need to find out who but the winner Boundary Oaks regardless, Nicholas courses are spectacular. Like Mayakama, even though I shot 105, I was like, wow, this is a painting. Like, Your elevation changes at Nicholas courses are incredible. I'll give you an example. There's a course in Monterey, a private club called Pasadera, and he has a 550-yard down cliff par 4. Okay. It's basically, you get up on that tee... Is this like Lake Chabot's par 6? It's a bigger (laughs) drop-off than that. Wow. Like, you hit a 300-yard drive like it's nothing on that hole. But he also has, a couple holes before... A 450-yard uphill par 5. So he's got a par 4 that's 100 yards longer than a par 5. What's the, like, architectural, you know, genius in that sort of design? Is it just the wow factor, or is there something that's actually hard about it? You know, I get not being able to see the green surface can be tough, like Poppy Hills. You know, I feel like you can't see a lot of the green surfaces there, and maybe that can mess with your head. But I think on a long par 4, it's the majesty of the tee shot 
the type of view that you get yeah. on a tee shot. I've had a chance to play another Nicholas Course uh, Montro outside of Reno a couple of weeks ago, and there were several holes that very much like that. Your incredible vistas from an elevated tee looking down. I think that's a big part of it. In golf course design, if you have a short five, it's either A, tight, or B, the green is brutal. And that's what Nicholas likes to do as well. There's a lot of areas where the green will just fall off. Penal. Into a certain area. And, and I think that the three of us playing the Olympic Club, a classic old-style golf course, as much as we do, I know Smothers not as much as you used to, but when you go somewhere else and you go to a Nicholas-style golf course, you realize... We're not used to the type of penalty that he puts on his golf course. See, I disagree. I think I think he's a one-trick pony. I think his courses are beautiful. I think they're great to look at. But if you don't hit a cut, don't show up. You're you're not going to get your money's worth unless you you know equate your money with more strokes. Yeah, I mean, where where what is going to be? So you know, all the classic courses, right? You know, the. Uh, you know, CB McDonald's, the Alistair McKenzie's, uh, the Amen, Alistair McKenzie. Hit a draw all day. Let's who, go. I'll who, take anyone on. Let's go. Who who are going to be the next? I mean, so right now, Gil Hands, uh, you know, he's kind of the guy who's restoring all these courses. Uh, I know we're getting a little off tracker, but I. No, I like talking about this. Yeah, it's out of bounds. Let's go. It's out of bounds. Let's go. And I think that when you talk about, and I'll just say this. And I won't speak for the Olympic Club because I don't want any members that might potentially listen to this to say that we're raging against the machine here. So I'm going to comment on the other golf course that Gil Hans is doing, Lake Merced. Yeah. I don't feel like that golf course needs to be touched. Eh, there's personally. a few. There's a few okay, holes out there. Number four, the fourth four, hole, five, five. Not I got so no hot. problem with five. I think five's a great hole. Four is one of the worst holes in golf. For those of you that have never played Lake Merced, okay, that's the a big fourth stretch. hole <laughs> is, they used to call it expedition when they had names on holes. It's a dogleg right uphill par five, and it's just, it's impossible to get to the green on your second shot because it's always... What do you mean? You have like an eight iron or a nine iron in your hand. Who has eight iron? <laughs> it's not that hard. We played it two weeks ago. It's... You hit a drive. It Did all you play funneled. the ladies' tees? What are we you played, doing? We played the back tees. Okay, it's, okay, it funnels okay. into the same place. They got rid of a bunker that I think was short right of it. That And the green, they made it a little less severe. Uh, that was, I think, the part that was... Before. The greens are always fantastic. I think the, that course is always in fantastic shape. It's classic. Um, I think that's it doesn't get as much play, I would say, probably, as uh, a lot of the other golf courses in the Bay Area here. Um, I, I mean, don't sleep on their cheese platter, by the way. <laughs> Good, good, uh, good bar, good food setup. Oh, amazing! I mean, uh, I would be drooling if I was an Olympic Club member and I saw their their food. And- I will say the bar is quite empty there after a round. So if you want to go play and enjoy a cocktail by yourself, head out to Lake Merced. Yeah, no one uh, doesn't like privacy. I'm just saying that. Yeah, no, nah, I, I just I don't think there are a few holes out there that are. Gil will do. A, the guy knows what he's doing. Um, 18 out there is great. Par five up the hill. Eh, even that's kind of a weak hole. Like the second shot. See, I like that hole. Yeah. I think the weakness of that hole is the fact that the driving range is off to the right. 
Yeah, driving range leaves I a little bit much to I think they're going to move the driving range over to where 4 is. I, yes, that's exactly what they're doing, which is why I brought up that the fact yeah, that they're going to blow up It's kind up of in the middle four. of the hole. Like, the 10th hole is actually, um, I don't mind 10 and 11. The back nine, I think, is pretty good there. The first few holes in the back. Um, you know, the U.S. Open sectional qualifying is always out there, combined with the ocean course at the OC. Um, the playoff, I think I was catting actually for the U.S. Open sectional for a guy uh, from Alaska. Shout out, Alaska. Um, how Alaskan many golf, golf courses are in Alaska? You feel uh, the golf community is very small there. Um, how many you uh, winners on tour have been from Alaska? All right, stats guy, got, stats yeah, guy. We gotta look that Ross. up. We gotta look that up. We gotta Wizard. look that up. <laughs> I would say none. I would. I would reckon. How many professional athletes are from Alaska? Carlos in general. Former, oh. former Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, Duke? Is that a Duke Jazz. guy? Is that a Duke yeah. guy? So fun fact: the guy that I catted for, uh, Jordan. I don't know his last name. Sorry, Jordan. Um, he said actually a lot of am like really good amateurs, some pros actually try to go purposely go to Alaska, uh, to qualify for local qualifying because it's a smaller field. The golf course is not that great. So you can easily get into sectionals by shooting, you know, what, a couple under par. So watch out for the Alaska sectional. It's stacked. Hey, you know, maybe we should make a trip up there, boys. Let's so go. Hey, <laughs> what I chipping a chair. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. So from what I can tell. And this is based on Apple Maps. Shout out Apple Maps. There are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 golf courses in the state of Alaska. 11? And Most have, of them in Anchorage. You got five in San Francisco. Are you kidding? I'm going to need to touch base with Jordan again to find out what's going on. Because he qualified, I think, two or three times through locals. Um, and we were out there at Lake Merced in the ocean. But the playoff hole, uh, getting back to Lake Merced, uh, number 10, Great playoff hole, uh, I think. It's decently short par four, but it's protected by... It's really tight. Yeah, the green's protected by a tree. The drive, you know, the left side's protected. You got the driver range on the right, so don't hit a right or else you're going to have a tough time finding your ball. Um, no, I mean, I think the course is... You just need to change maybe four or five holes out there, and that's a fantastic golf course. All right, so I'm just making this segment up right now. It's called Hidden Gems. That's what we do. what we do. And we're going to talk about, each of us will mention a golf course each week. A golf course that we've played, it can be in the state of California or not. Okay. Preferably in the Bay Area because that's our market share. Yep. A golf course that we've played that maybe our audience has not played and they should go check out. I'm going to start. I think that the new... Don't steal mine. Okay, so you're gonna steal mine. <laughs> all right. So for the sake of us not stealing each other's no, just go for it. Thunder, go, go for it. I got a backup. I would love to say that the new South Course Ooh. at Carica Park, okay, in Alameda, is absolutely phenomenal. The old Jack Clark Course. Yep. Reese Jones came in. Yep. Blew it up. Environmentally friendly. Put in a brand new they call it an australian style links yep the greens are amazing they're faster than a majority of the private course greens that you're going to play in the bay area i saw a great post by them the other day just describing the turf conditions like you were saying and that more golf courses need to embrace you know firm fast different color grass so you know let's get rid of this does it differ from the other course the grass setup I don't know because the other course is currently under construction and they're going to open up the north course in a similar style. Now, the old north course 
the Earl Fry was much more of a Parkland course, and the Jack Clark was more exposed, and you had to deal with way more wind because there just wasn't as many trees. So that's my hidden gem of the Bay Area for this week. That's the solid. Chuck Carica South Course. When it comes to Carica, I hear the practice facility is somewhat unsurpassed. Is it? Is that your opinion? They have a little par three course there. I think they right? have. They have a par three that's adjacent to the driving range. I didn't hit balls there the lone time that I played the new redesign, but they've got a huge driving. Range. I hear that's, you can chip and putt too. I mean, they got a like a, a pitching green. I'd yeah? say that's a winner, Greg. That's a pretty good one. I think we do need to actually probably go play there more often. I know they have a skins game out there, so maybe. Well, we when's the skins game? Try getting a tea time. Yeah, well, skins game. That's that's, that's everything in the game. East Bay. I mean, it's like that's why. Hey, skins games. Hit up your local skins game. That's easiest way to get a tea time. Harding, you know, they got a good one. Hey, don't um, don't sleep on Lincoln. Yeah, hey, they do have one out there too. So and, you know, if you want to hey, make a, a birdie time, on three, and you're eating good. Uh, Greg, I'm gonna you know piggyback off uh, this. It's a, I've only played there. I want to say two times. Um, it's a little bit of a drive, but. If you go there, it's going to be worth your while. Uh, hopefully, I'm not stealing your thunder here, Smobro, but uh, Yoka Dehi uh, up at Cash Don't worry Creek Casino. Um, I don't know. I, I, I love the course. I've only played there a couple times, like I said. They're great but it, things. It's a true managed golf course. It's pretty wide open, big greens, always in great shape. Um, but what's better than, you know, you go up there, play a little Friday afternoon, stay up there. They got a big hotel uh, do a little, you know, play a little cards, you know, watch a little sports. They've got roulette yeah. and golf. Next, Enough said. Next day, go play, you know, another 18 and go home. I mean, that's that's not a bad, you know. How's the hotel price? Is it reasonable? Uh, you know, it's out there, I think, in Brooks. It's kind of middle of nowhere. You drive out this road and you don't know where you're headed and you just, you're driving past all sorts of cars and then all of a sudden you come around this bend and it's just, you know, glowing lights and you're like, what am I about to come across? You know, I actually do know a little bit about that golf course. It's next to Puda Creek and Puda, Puda, Puda is rocking everywhere. That's what they say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they do do, I think, US Open qualifying out there. Or, uh, excuse me, mid-amateur qualifying is out there uh, this year. Um, already filled up. Um, I missed that. So You should go do the mid-am in Idaho Falls. Where the, I used to live. The Chuckers. Go Chuckers. Go Chuckers, baby. Go. Yeah, Idaho Falls Country Club. A William F. Bell design. Uh, same guy that designed Tory Pines. Okay. And the same guy that designed up in Marin County, of course, that you and I know very well, Peacock Gap. Oh, lovely track. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to everybody at Peacock Gap. Yeah, Peacock, Actually, we're not, we're not going to shout you out at all. Your course is overpriced <laughs> and it's not that good. So, All right, Smo, bro, what you got? All right, so this is actually a softball, I think. Lake Chabot in Oakland Ooh. is an incredible golf course. It's I have a personal affinity for it because it's the first place I broke par. Um, it's not a difficult golf course. It's par 72, but it's rated like maybe 69, 70. So if you're playing good, you better break par. And it allows you just to have fun. And that's what I love about it. There's a par 6. It's not a par 6. Come on. In our mind, I it's a par I think a guy par. made a uh, 2 there this year. Yeah, they did an article about it. I've hit a 7 iron on there into but at the same time i was literally down a mountain that seven iron loft was a two iron and i was playing out of my mind but regardless it is such a fun course it's got wildlife it's got uh opportunities to make birdies i mean in the front nine alone you've got two far par fives back to back where an average golfer you're gonna have a birdie putt yep. and that's just great fun. great burgers fun. i hear at the turn there too well you know it's funny you actually talk about the uh the food there she is a sassy queen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The food, I don't know, but the sass, 
amazing. You order it on the tee, and then she delivers it to you on the green. That's, I oh, mean, come you on. Know, that's good service. It's an experience. Sometimes you get served by a waiter or a waitress, and like that's part of the experience. Part of Lake Chabot is getting a hot dog and getting kind of yelled at by the yeah. by the corner. You I, know, I think the one thing that we, I, I you know, I, I now that you said Lake Chabot, I, I am remiss to shout out. We got to give Lincoln Park the shout out, right? I mean, Lincoln, Ooh. they got the city there every year. That's a place, if you've never played it, um, Lincoln deserves its own episode. I mean, it is yeah, the I most agree. urban. Let's go. If we're going to talk about golf courses in San Francisco, let's, let's save that one for another episode. They deserve their own episode. Yep. Lincoln does. Oh, yeah. 100%. But we're at the Ocean Avenue Studios. The closest golf course to this place is Glen Eagles. And I believe that Glen Eagles deserves I think we an need episode to save, of its yeah, own. Yeah, I as think well. we need to keep those, those two alone we could talk about for Little a Little known hours. fact about Glen Eagles, most people don't know this, but it was a budget overrun from Candlestick Park. So it actually became the most expensive nine hole municipal course in the country ever. They literally just buried it in that budget. <laughs> I mean, it's a great track, though. Uh, you know, there's those famous quotes, Lee Trevino saying it's, you know, the hardest nine hole course he's ever played. But I, I think we got to save that for another episode. It's right? almost we unfair. Go on for it's days. so hard. It's so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I love playing there. And it's just a. What's top... your best score, Greg, there? I'd probably say my best score for nine, probably one over. I think one. I think I shot one over back in February. And it's not easy. I birdied two and three, and then I bogeyed six. I three putted six because I got above the hole, and you cannot get above the hole on number six. And then number eight, the flag was like tucked way far left. I landed my shot probably 10 yards left to the green. And I had about 75 feet for birdie right of the hole. Like, if you've never played Glen Eagles, you need to go play it. And now that we're emerging from COVID, yeah. the best Let's go. bar yeah. on the oh, south end of San absolutely. Francisco. And it is such a challenging golf course. I think we need an episode dedicated just to Glen Eagles. And we need to bring Danny Faulkner in there because he is a whisperer. Oh, he is a whisperer and he knows all the stories out there. It is an unbelievable experience yeah when there's a down week on the pga tour we, uh i mean it doesn't even need to be a down week let's i mean those golf courses lincoln and glen eagles shine i think above anyway. you know glen eagles also perhaps is the site of the greatest upset in high school sports history Uh-oh. uh yep hey, absolutely. Hey, all right we will say all that right, all right all right another time another time you're talking about the tour though finn and as we wrap this up here's our tour schedule upcoming so this may be out by the time that the Travelers is done, but it's really a pretty quiet tour stretch until we get to the Open. We've got the Rocket Mortgage Classic in Detroit. That's the one Bryson won last year where he was holding up that ridiculous trophy of the Rocket Mortgage logo. Then we've got the John Deere Classic, and this is the tournament that always precedes Steve Stricker. Shout out Steve Stricker. That is in the Quad Cities, Illinois. I lived there for two years. I lived in the Quad Cities area for two years. Never played it. It looks amazing. Ooh, Royal St. George. I forgot. It's a, I've seen some uh, – our guy, uh, Tim Gallagher, we'll give him a shout-out too. Uh, I think he played there a few months ago. I saw some pictures of Royal St. George. That place looks amazing. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that a lot. One other thing, and I didn't realize this – 
we're going to have a big gap at the end of July in regards to tour events because... Before the playoffs? Olympics. The Olympics. Ah, yes. So you're going to have Olympic golf. Beautiful. Which is weird saying because we talk about playing at the Olympic Club as being Olympic golf. We're going to have another episode on actually talking about golf at the Olympics. No Zika virus for this one, right? No Zika, but COVID <laughs> might be rampant. We'll see. Hey, it's a theme. Hey, in the words of O.J. Simpson, COVID-19's still out there. <laughs> <laughs> I love I it. I should not have brought up O.J. at the end. Of, but if you've ever <laughs> followed O.J. on Twitter, it's ridiculous. Oh, no. Please don't give him hey, any more press. Because this is the out-of-bounds section, I just want to throw out that I'm predicting Patrick Reed top 10 next week uh, at the Travelers feeling his game. I think it's going to be his week. Okay. All right. Well, Bubba's the easy pick. Uh, he's won there, what, a few, few times? Twice. So. I think three, no? Uh, w- regardless, stats guy, Greg, get on that. Uh, <laughs> uh, guys, this has been awesome. I think uh, first episode, uh, you know, we got a couple guys here that don't know what they're doing. Greg, you know, you've been a great support system. I'm looking forward to where this is going. So, I don't want likes. I don't want subscribes. I don't. No, want, no, you want those. No, 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 you no, no, want no. Those. I want negative comments. If you think I eat shit, tell me, and I'll read your email. Let's go. <laughs> Love it. Let's you go. You can send Alternate your shot. emails. We have not set up a show account yet, but for now, I'm taking a little risk putting this out there, but I got two other podcasts, so why not? Greg.Maraz at Yahoo.com. That's G-R-E-G dot M-R-O-Z at Yahoo.com. That is my personal email address. If you have questions, comments, concerns, really lucrative job offers, free beer, <laughs> any, we'll any, take all of it. Any players looking for a caddy? You got some experience. Let's go. <laughs> so that is going to do it for the first episode of the alternate golf, the alternate shot golf podcast. I almost screwed up the name of the show. We're learning. We're learning. We're in progress. We've been going for a while. So that's going to do it. Have a great week, everybody. And make sure that you hit your fairways, you put them all out, and most importantly, tip your waitresses afterwards. We'll talk to you soon. Cheers, boys.